Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. <laughs> Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now, your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I'm going to go back to the mailbags and uh, take a look at some of these emails you guys have sent me. Some of which just quickly answered. Others were in-depth conversations. And uh, we just want to take a look at some of these. They're really difficult to make a radio show out of simply because they're emails. And uh, the back and forth nature of the email makes it sound kind of hokey pokey. But there's a lot of times in some of these things, there's some real in-depth questions, which leads me to this opening here of talking about where are you at financially? And I'm talking about your financial literacy. I get so many different people at different positions in their life, different levels of financial literacy from people who have no idea. I mean, it's really, it's kind of sad, maybe a little scary, how some people have no idea. I mean, down to the point where they can barely even balance their checkbook. They don't understand savings. They don't understand investing. Uh, they pretty much just barely get by in life living paycheck to paycheck, no plan, so forth. Then you go up the line and you find people that are a little more uh, intelligent, a little more, a little higher education in the field of finance, understand things a little bit better. Then you find people that are pretty adept at it all the way up to the top. When I started, what happened for me, and I'm not recommending this to anybody right now, I'm just sort of sharing this with you. I knew I wanted to be a businessman way, 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 way back in the beginning. I mean, like at maybe age six or seven, eight. I used to play Monopoly with myself, and I'd take four sides of the board and make each one of them a position of a, of a plan. This guy might say, I'm going to keep all the cash I can keep. This guy's going to try to get all the railroads and the utilities. This guy's going to try to buy everything he lands on. And this guy's only going to buy Boardwalk and Park Place. And those are really the four main approaches to playing Monopoly. And I'd play them over and over and over again to see which one of those would end up winning and what was the secret to it and so on and so forth. By the time I got into high school, I was taking accounting and uh, finance. And when I got to college, I took accounting and finance 
more so, more classes on it. And um, when I first got into buying rental houses, I took each rent house and in my mind set it up as if it were a business. And that business had an income statement and a balance sheet. And the income statement showed each month the income that came in and the expenses that went out and the net profit for the month and the total profit for the year. And as I grew as an investor and started different types of businesses and companies, all of that worked well for me. I learned how to set up LLCs at a very early age and early stage of my career. Uh, in fact, I started some of the first LLCs in Texas. I didn't, my attorney did, but when they had first become popular. The reason I say that is because before I started using LLCs, people were using limited partnerships. That was the way they did real estate. Everybody did limited partnerships for real estate deals. And somebody talked to me, hey, why, why not an LLC? And, you know, they're new and they've got some additional advantages. You don't have to have a second entity, you know, which is the general partner and then the, the, the passive partners. And I said, okay, man. So they set it up and it worked and stayed legal and became probably now what almost everything's purchased into in the real estate world. They don't hardly do limited partnerships anymore. Because with a limited partnership, one party has to be responsible. They have to take the liability. Whereas with an LLC, Nobody has to take the liability. So it's just a, so much better entity for buying real estate in. So the point I'm getting to here is that I've always taken this as if it were going to be a business and that I was going to run the business as strictly as professionally as a business could be run. I've always done accounting. I've always balanced my checkbooks. I've always done my tax returns, on and on and on and on, amortized my mortgages, stayed on top of the loss. In fact, when I first started doing this, I actually bought a book on contracts, uh, real estate contracts, that was taught in real estate agency courses, training courses, that realtors had to take this law class. And I just bought the book and read it from cover to cover and made notes and voila, by the time I got done with that, I could write a contract as well, if not better than any real estate agent out there. So. Again, I'm not telling you to go do all this. I'm just making a point to you that there are people out there that are highly sophisticated at what they're doing. And then there are people out there that are just winging it. And if you're going to wing it, you're going to need somebody's help. That's all there is to it because you're not going to get through it successfully. Now, I will tell you this, though. Even though I was financially sophisticated, if I would have had help on how to buy real estate, and I did get some help from here, from this broker or that broker, you know, took a course here, took a course there, got some ideas from other people. But if I really would have had a mentor that was rich and was telling me step by step how to get rich, it could have happened a whole lot faster, guys, a whole lot faster and better. So I'm going to start with the conversation I had with the individual, and I'm I don't bother to ask these people if I can use their material, so that's why I don't use their names. I guarantee you they're real people. I just don't want to go into giving out their information without me having asked for it first. So the first one here is a guy says, uh, my competitor in town just sold an eight-property self-storage portfolio at a 4.4 cap rate, which is a very low cap rate, which means it's a very high price. They're interested in my property as well, which could net me $6 million capital gain. While I would like to capture this capital gain, I'm concerned about where to invest the money via 1031 exchange. Do you advise folks to get your trade 
up property ready beforehand. This would be a fairly sizable acquisition for me, of course. So I wrote back to this guy and I was discussing this with him and basically said, look, that's a big jump to go from self-storage to putting $6 million down on something else. And it's not always easy to find a 1031 exchange property. So what I suggested you look at is a couple of possibilities. And this is what I, I really discussed with him. Number one, I discussed if you have someone that wants to buy your place that bad, they're willing to pay you that low a cap rate and they're willing to, to buy at that high a price, then it's very possible for you just to sell them an option. And an option says that, hey, I'm going to go find something I want to buy, right? And if I find something I want to buy, like, you know, you give me $100 for the option to buy my property and I won't let anybody else buy it. You'll buy it or nobody will buy it. And then I'll go look for a property. When I find the property I want and I get it under contract and I know I'm going to be closing on this thing, I can then let you take the rest of the option and actually put this property in contract and close up before I close on mine. And the reason there's an option consideration and then eventually there's earnest money consideration is because if you don't close and you mess up my ability to move on to the next deal, and I'm going to lose my earnest money on the next deal. So I need a fair amount of earnest money and option consideration to take my prop first the option consideration to take my property off the market and let you be the only potential buyer. And secondly, uh, and by the way, there's a sec- second risk there. And the risk is my property might go up in value during that period of time. And the second risk is, is that when I get to the end and I say, okay, I'm ready, you might say no. And I will have done a lot of work and research and stuff. And you just walk away and say, I really don't want to give you the rest of the money for the option. And or then you might go into the option, give me the rest of the money for the option. But I need a large amount of earnest money because you may back out of the deal. Once you do your due diligence and feasibility, you may say no. In which case, I'm left holding the bag. Now, from the files of Dell Wamsley. I started out with the rule, never spend more than the maximum you've made in any one year. That would be the most expensive home that I could afford. When I was young, I was making $40,000 a year. I bought a $40,000 one-bedroom condo. Later on, when I was making $100,000 a year, I went and I bought myself a $120,000 three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage home, brand new from a builder. A little later, I was making you know more than $200,000 a year. I bought myself a $200,000, $4,000 foot home. When I made a million dollars a year, I went and I bought myself a $5,000 square foot, $1 million home. And then later, uh, I bought a $5 million home, but I bought it for half price, like $2.4 million or something like that. So I paid for it. It was almost an investment to me, but it was still way less than I'd made in one year. So it was all within this conservative take that you don't spend more than one year's worth of income in the place you live. Take a short break. Be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're hitting the mailbag, and as uh, first segment came to a close, we were a- answering a question about, should I do a 1031 on a very large transaction, and if so, should I get my property lined up beforehand? And the answer was yes. I then came back and had a separate discussion with him where I said, you know, why don't you think about just refinancing the property you have? If you've got good cash flow on it right now, and it's it's worth that much, you've got that much profit in it, you know, why not just refinance and go buy some more? And keep what you have, because there's times that I think to myself, I wish, and literally I've had this conversation with thyself hundreds of times. I said, you know, I wish I hadn't sold all the stuff I had. I mean, I've sold off probably 20 or 30 apartment complexes. And I always thought, well, I'm tired of that one. I'm on that one for five or 10 years, and I'm going to buy something newer. And I talked to some guy that ran a gigantic real estate corporation, Camden Property Trust. That's what it was. And... When I was talking to the president of this company, he said, look, we don't have, we have an average age of our portfolio of 10 years. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, anything that gets to be older than 10 or 15 years, we start thinking about getting rid of. So we may have a few that are 12 or 15 years old, but we've got a bunch that are one, two, three, or four, five years old, but they're constantly churning their real estate so that the average of the age of the properties is not more than 10 years. And there's a secret about 10 years, which is that almost everything wears out when it's 10 years old in real estate. I mean, the roof, driveways, siding, plumbing, electrical appliances, they all start to wear out at 10 years old if they haven't already started, you know. But if they do, if they haven't by 10 years, and I used to joke, I said, there's a giant warranty satellite out there that flies around looking for stuff that's 10 years old and zaps it with a laser and stops working. That's the way I've always felt. My house that I live in right now is like 11, 12 years old. I mean, we're replacing unbelievable amount of things. It's, it's really a pain in the Buddha because I've got like eight, four or five ton air conditioners on this house. So you got all the the furnaces, eight of those furnaces in this house. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff to go wrong. The pool plumbing, the pond plumbing, the fountains plumbing, there's all kinds of stuff that's just, you know, now it's 10, 11, 12 years old and starting to break and deteriorate. So I, I wrote him back and I talked to him about, you know, hey, what do you think about refinance or whatever? And the guy goes, yeah, I really like that idea. He said, it's, it's interesting because almost everybody I talk to says that I should sell everything. Why, why do I keep? And then he brought up this point. He says, they want me to sell off my single families, my duplexes, and my fourplexes. Even though, and they say, well, because you've got all this 
self-storage that's doing so well, why don't you get rid of these other things? I guess he called them two families and four families, so it's duplexes and fourplexes he has. And they all try to tell me it's too much, it's more headache than it's worth compared to the storage. And I, and this is, I quote him, and I tell them because they produce positive cash flow. Why would I sell a property that produces positive cash flow? Well, there's more to it than that. And that's, there's not, that's not a bad statement, but there's more to it to that in that in this world, everything is going up in value, especially now with hyperinflation. And so it's the total dollar of assets owned that dictates how wealthy you are. So I'll give you just a a strange little thought process. I was sitting at Christmas with my daughter and she had her boyfriend with her. And we were were saying, look, look, this is is the kind of income I made this year. It blew her mind like, man, that's unbelievable. And I said, yeah, but look what this income does as far as creating value. And here's my value, reverse it. And this is what my net worth was. And so we looked at that and we're like, man, 200, 250, $300 million. And I said, no, I must've done the math wrong. I've just, you know, I always thought it was worth about a hundred million, but my net worth has tripled in the last couple of years. And I thought, man, what if I hadn't sold all the other stuff I own? What if I still had all that stuff that went up and has gone up 300% in the last three years, four years, whatever it's been, five years. I don't even know what it is, but it's just going up radically. I mean, it just blows my mind how fast this stuff's going up in value. I bought a property that uh, I looked at buying a property the other day. In fact, I'm making an offer on it. In, in a, this week, but I looked at it, and it's exactly like another property I own in the same general area. And the one I bought three years ago, I bought for like twenty-two million. And this one now they want thirty-four million. I'm thinking, geez, that's insane. That is insane. The value of that property went up twelve million dollars. In three years. And what's insane about it is that I only put $9 million down on it. So, I mean, it's more than a 100, 125% increase in value on capital gains alone, not to count all the income that comes from it, not to count all the tax write-offs that come from it. So, when you look at these things, and this has happened to multiple, almost everything, almost everything I have, it's gone like that. So, I'm talking to this guy, I'm saying, hey, you know, you need to think this through very carefully. And the guy, him and I discussing this, both came to the conclusion that, you know, right now in this hyperinflation, you're probably better off to keep the assets. And I'm going to give you a third reason. And that is your asset base, your asset base is safer when you own it with a low basis. So if anything ever does go wrong, the marketplace just goes hooey pooey. You have a very low basis in the properties you own. If you own a lot of different properties from a long time ago, that very low basis means that you could withstand some type of a downturn without it hurting you. I'm going to give you a fourth reason. The fourth reason is the devil you know is easier than the devil you don't know. So when you're maintaining and managing a property, you already figured out how to maintain and manage. You know your clientele. You know what marketing works for your clientele. You know what amenities they demand. That, that's the devil you know. And that's a lot easier than the devil you don't know. Now, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't go buy more. What I'm saying is don't sell what you got. 
refinance the money, pull it out, and go buy another one. And then what will happen is you will start to build wealth. And one day you'll wake up and turn around and go, wow, all this stuff I own has gone up two, three, four times in value. And now I'm a multi-multi-millionaire. That's what happened to me. Didn't even see it coming, but it happened. And I think that that's what's going to happen to a lot of people. But if you continue to sell, you're giving up those assets and giving up that opportunity to become rich. Dell Wamsley on how to live the lifestyle. I lost money in the stock market when I was 27 years old. Black Monday, I think it's 87, October 20th, 1987. And that was my birthday, by the way. And I lost a lot of money in the stock market. I said, you know what? I'm never going to give my money to somebody else ever again. And I haven't. Every dollar that I invest in the world is put into something I control. Now, I've done a few passive deals with real estate, with people that I know very closely here at Lifestyles. I trust it. You know, I just picked the most trustworthy people that I trusted. I didn't care how great the deal was. I just picked the people because the people to me are more important. But that's a minuscule amount of my net worth that's in with these deals. I just did it so I could be a part of the group and have some fun and see what these other people were doing. But the reality is, is that all of my investments are in stuff I control. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're doing the mailbag. In other words, bringing out emails people send me. I have conversations with them. If you want to send me an email and ask me a question, you can send it to askdell at l-u-i-n-c dot com. That's ask, A-S-K, ask, Dell, D-E-L, at l-u-i-n-c dot com. That's lifestylesunlimitedinc.com. All right, so um, this next one's really strange. I pulled this one out for reasons that you'll see in a second here. It's really the timing of this stuff. I got an email back from this gentleman back in uh, January of 21, 2021. Hope this finds you well. Last year in March, I was listening to your radio show. So last year in March of 20, right? It's now January of 21. A year ago, I was listening to your radio show and you had mentioned to get a home equity line and use those funds to invest in real estate instead of trying to pay off your house. I wanted to get involved with lifestyles, but didn't think I had the funds. Right after listening to you last March, I signed up for the two-hour intro. Then I signed up for the two-day seminar and became a member. I didn't waste any time, applied for home refinance, and was hit with all kinds of objections since I owned a small business and sales were affected by COVID just like other businesses. After three tries, I was finally successful. Last week, my refinance went through. I called Keith in Houston area and told him I wanted to get signed up for as a preferred member. Last two nights, I went and reviewed the setting goals part of the booklet and recently after the two-hour seminar and revised everything with the new time frame and rewrote my five biggest goals, including health and family. I look forward to my active involvement with Lifestyles. Thank you for your radio show and the ideas that finally got me moving. So I want you to get this point from this. This guy wrote me this in January of 21, telling me that he started in March of 20. So we've got March of 20 to March of 21. He gets in place. 
I then asked him at this point, uh, January 21, I said, how much money do you have to invest after you get signed up? I wanted to make sure he wasn't wasting his money signing up. He said about 145 to 150000 I wrote back, that's okay. That's good. That'll work. Good hunting. Can't wait to see what happens with your goals. And that was the end of the conversation in January of 21. He here recently sent me another email, which is funny because he didn't even detach the old emails. That's what's funny about it. He sent right back on top of the old email, December of 21 now. This is a year after the January email. It says, hope this email finds you well. I enjoy listening to your radio show. Opportunity to become a preferred member in January of 21. So far, I have invested in three passive deals, 75000 in Houston, 50000 in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, through my home equity loan, and 50000 in Atlanta through my self-directed IRA. My question is, how long, on average, does it take passes to achieve financial independence? I will be investing another 50000 in 2022. Most of the stories I hear about on the radio are people who got educated, did their first multifamily deal, sold it, and made money, and kept doing it full-time, either as an IRO or with investors. This option is not available to me as I work full-time, meaning he doesn't have the time to be an IRO, an independent real estate owner, where he owns it himself and operates it himself. I write him back. I said, there's really no real accurate way to tell you how long it's going to take for you to retire because it depends on so many different things. Like, what is your cost of living? Are you willing to lower your cost of living? In other words, if you're willing to lower your cost of living, it's a lot easier to get to that number quick. Um, you know, how long are you going to work? How much do you make? How much income do you have to cover up? So on and so forth. And I just I wrote him all that kind of information. And uh, he wrote me back again with another question saying, I'm planning on staying in my job seven to ten more years. I have 175,000 invested already, and I plan to increase that to 300,000 by August. On average, for multifamily properties, how long before they double in value? And it's interesting because he's asking questions where he's trying to make a very solid plan on how he's going to get out of this thing. And so, even though there's no way I can tell him exactly how long it's going to take him, nor could I tell him exactly how long it takes for a property to double in value. I felt obligated to give him some kind of a a guesstimation. And I said, well, although back 10 years ago, we were getting deals to double in value in one year, here recently, it's been taking two to three years to get our investments to double in value. So I just thought that was interesting on the whole conversation because this final conversation is January 13th of 2022. So I've been talking to this guy for three years But in three years, he's at the point where he's getting close to retiring, although he says he plans to work for another seven years. But in three years, he's already got $300,000 worth of investments out there. And uh, I just think that that's really interesting to see that happen. I've seen people do it a lot faster than that. I've seen people do it slower than that. But I just thought that was interesting that he's been on track mentally for three years following the plan making it happen, so on and so forth. All right, next email. It says, uh, I've listened to your program for the last couple of days all about how going slow is actually going fast. Now I'm what you would call a type A personality, which means they're a go-getter. They move fast, make fast decisions. I'm a member, own one door in Arizona. I guess it's one, one house, rent house, and ran out of money. Now I'm meeting with a realtor Tuesday to see whether I can sell it, but let's assume that I decide not to. How can I move forward? Well, I decided to invest in West Virginia because of the cheapest place in the U.S. to buy. I checked out the biggest city in West Virginia, and it's Charleston, and maybe 48,000 people, so it's not a big place. I found single family 3-1 for sale for 50,000 bucks. Zillow says it's rep for 850, and so even 700 a month, 
even if it only rents for seven hundred a month, it's going to work. Uh, I also seen pictures inside, and I'm not. It's not the best product, but it's in good shape. The kitchen looks a little outdated. So at this point, after about ten minutes of investigating, my instinct is to pull the trigger. Remember, fast is slow. Slow is fast. I'm thinking, hey, let's call the realtor, get the offer in, and start working on financing. We'll figure out whether whatever else we need to do along the way. I'm guessing this wouldn't be your approach. So tell me, how would you find out what you want to do and need to know, and how would you find that out? If you think a podcast is a better way of answering them, feel free to do it on podcast. So that's what I'm doing. I'm answering in the radio show, which will turn into a podcast eventually. And the bottom line is this. I have no problem with you finding a deal in another city. I have no problem with the pricing. I think it sounds like good pricing. I have no problem with you wanting to tie this property up right away. I would write an earnest money contract and get it to the agent, get the agent to write the contract. But I would make sure that you have an option period in there where you can actually either yourself go out and inspect the property or better yet, get an inspector, inspection company to go out and inspect the property and tell you what you've got, write your report, and then get bids on whatever it is you think you have to get done before you close on the deal. Then, if it turns out that it really is a dog or there's something really wrong with it, you get it out of the deal and only lose your option consideration fee. That would be the next step. Also, it says, you know, I want to sell the house and get the money. Is is there any other way to do it? Yes. Look at refinancing the house. Again, like we just said in the last segment, refinancing and taking whatever equity out of the house and going on, keeping that house and going on to the next one is possibly and probably a better idea. Now, I have one caveat to that. You got one house in Phoenix. <laughs> you got one house in Charleston, Virginia. Nah, I start to wonder, what is your plan? Are you going to buy one-offs here, everywhere, all around the place? That doesn't seem to be a really good idea. So if if you think that you can get a really good price for the one in Phoenix, maybe you should go buy two of these inexpensive ones in West Virginia so you can get enough economics to scale to get yourself a property management company to manage this stuff for you out there. That might be a better approach to this at this point. Again, you got to move fast on this stuff, but you got to move fast with information. You need the knowledge. And the moving fast, you've already taken the time to take the course and to understand it. And you know, it sounds like you know what you're doing. So I don't think that you're going too fast. I think you just need to make sure you've got that step that covers rule number one, which is never lose money. Dell Wamsley offers some tips on a better lifestyle. One asset that I bought and sold for the same price. I bought it, couldn't make any money with it, and I sold it. And this was a Section 8 housing project. Section 8 housing people are out of their minds, and they destroy everything. And they eat up your profits by destroying your asset, and you have to keep fixing your asset for dumb people that are just ignorant, that tear everything up on purpose in most cases. I just sold that for what I bought it for. I said, look, this isn't going to make any money. That was a learning curve. I'm getting out of it. I got out of it. I didn't lose any money. But the bottom line is I've never lost money. Rule one, never lose money. So you go to the stock market, you lose money. You put money in your 401k, it loses money. You go to the IRA, it loses money. These things I will not live with. I cannot wake up tomorrow and see my money, you know, the number on the piece of paper on my computer go down. It's got to go up. It can't go down. That's not allowable. Now, people say, why don't you use diversification? I am diversified. I got real estate in probably 10 different states. Right? We said, well, not just real estate. Why don't you diversify into other stuff? Because other stuff loses money. They say, well, 
Diversification, what is diversification? Diversification is admitting to yourself you don't know one thing about what you're doing. We'll be right back with the Dell Walton Radio Show. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. An email bag, and uh, I'm going to start another one here. This gentleman says, I would like to do a cash out refi on my personal property and I need to fix and finish the upstairs in order to be able to cash out the property. I need to do... 7,000 on exterior. May can do this for after refi, it won't affect that much. But I need probably 7,000 on the interior. If I do the work, the bathroom remodel and paint and flooring for approximately 900 square feet and couple other minor repairs downstairs. The issue is I don't have the liquid funds to complete this quickly. Estimated APR on this property is $275,000, and I only owe $144,000, so I could almost do two single-family rentals with the cash out. Trying to think of a feasible option to get the remodel done. Doing loans would be negative on the credit report of refinancing, but may be the best way. Seeing if someone would know a creative way or an alternate. Well, this kind of stuff's done all the time by professional real estate investors. They buy a property. And at closing, a hard money lender lends them the money to not only buy the property, but to do the repairs. And then as soon as the repairs are done, then they refinance them out of that hard money loan. So all you need to do is just reverse the process. You already own the property with a regular loan. Go ahead and get the hard money lender to pay off that regular loan and give you the money to do the repairs. And then put it back into the new larger refinanced loan. They may be able to even not have to pay off the first loan, but eventually it has to be paid off anyway because you're going to put a larger loan on there or you're going to take out some type of a secondary financing package, like a home equity loan type of deal. So the bottom line is a hard money lender should be able to walk you right through this. This should not be a problem. I've seen people do it many times. You just got to find the guy that thinks that your numbers are right. And I would think that a hard money lender is going to feel pretty comfortable about a property that's worth $275,000 that you only owe 144 on. I can't see hardly any hard money lender balking at that kind of a equity position uh, on the property. Also, there are lenders that will lend 50% of the money of the value of the property just on the value of the property. In other words, just asset lending. Again, hard money lender is going to be the way to go. All right, last one here. It says, I'm not sure if you remember, but me and my girlfriend, but we have tackled our first property, 24K out of pocket, 26,000 capital, 350 cash flow. Wow. Okay. So they made $26,000 capital gain and $350 a month cash flow on $24,000 investment. Very good. Just wanted to let you know that you're, you and Lifestyles changed our lives already with just the first property since it's been going to help us snowball into millionaires. On the other note, I wanted to ask you a specific question about your personal residence purchasing rule. I heard you speak uh, on the radio yesterday. I wanted to ask, is there math to it? If there is, and if so, what is it? Or did you just decide the house to buy shouldn't be worth more than your annual income? Well, for those of you who haven't heard this rule before, I live by the rule that I will not buy a house that costs more than what I've made in a single year. And the answer to his question is, it's random. I just made that up. I, I started when I had a $40,000 income. I bought a $40,000 condo, and then when I moved my way up to $70,000 a year, I think I bought a $100,000 house. Then when I was making uh, more money, 
retired, I bought a $200,000 house. And then when I had a really good year one year, sold some properties, I made a million bucks in one year, I went and bought a million dollar home. Then I had even better years. I went out and bought a two and a half million dollar house. The other day, I was looking at buying a $12 million home. And a month later, I was looking at buying a $32 million home. And so I was at the point there where I had gone outside of my parameters and uh, I couldn't follow through psychologically with a $32 million home. So I made the offer of uh, $29 million, which kept me at my rule. And then um, I got beat out on the house, didn't get it. And eventually, because the $30 million home was so nice, I went back to the $12 million home again, which was really nice, but it just didn't feel the same after looking at a $30 million home. I mean, it's just like total, total letdown. And then somebody bought the $12 million house. So up to this date, I'm still living in about a $5 million home instead of a $30 million home. And I don't mind it. I mean, it's a really nice home, 16,000 square foot, 20 car garage, giant swimming pool, koi ponds. Auto court, it's a great place. I just thought that the rule allowed me to expand my cost of living as I worked hard to become wealthier throughout my life. And by sticking to it, I knew I'd never be house poor. And that was important because I've seen so many people that become house poor. I wanna make sure that a percentage of my assets are always stuck in investments and a smaller percentage is used for consumption. And so, my friend, the rule was just made up, and there's no real math to it. I don't even know if it makes sense. I just lived by it my whole life. So, for the rest of you out there, consider this. Why are you investing? Why are you listening to these radio shows? What are your goals in life? And are you going to reach them? And if you sit down and do what this other guy did and got set up that map and put all those goals together, in three years, you could completely change your life. We used to tell people it takes seven years to retire. Now, people are saying it's two to five. Three years could be a very good life for you. Del Wamsley on how to live the lifestyle. If you have a deal that loses 20%, you have a deal that makes and loses nothing, and you have another deal that earns 20% and another deal that earns 100%. Do you want to put $1 in each one of those? No. What you want to do is figure out which one makes 100% and put all your money there. You might diversify a little bit into the 20 percentile, you know, profitable deal, but you don't put your money in something that earns nothing, and you don't put your money into something that loses money. You just don't do it. And they said, but you don't know what will and won't go up and down. And that's the whole point. Your financial planner is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I do. And so I'm not going to listen to people that are stupid and put my money where stupid people put their money. Rich people put their money where rich people know it's going to make a lot of money and they can control the situation. That's the reality. Never lose money. A lot of people like that mud on the wall. If you throw enough mud on the wall, something has to stick. Maybe. Maybe it does, but after you've lost 10, 20, 30, 40% of your money throwing the mud on the wall, how much does the rest of that money have to grow just to get back even? Well, if you've lost 50% of everything you earn, you have to earn 100% on that next deal to get back to even. You haven't made any money yet. You've got to get back to even. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.